nailed to a cross. Our sin put on him. And he dies. And so I want to pick up the story this morning. Late Friday afternoon. Just after Jesus has breathed his last breath. I want to talk to you a little bit about what happens when they bury him. And hopefully that will lead us to Sunday where he has risen. See, Jesus' body was, body was laid in a tomb, a, a, in a cemetery. I want us to think of a, a cemetery much like the ones we have today. Maybe not as large, but very similar in the sense that it was quiet and peaceful. It was a garden cemetery to be specific. A little collection of tombs dug out of solid rock. There the Jews buried their sacred dead. There they laid their loved ones waiting for a better day. So on a late Friday afternoon, just before sundown, they buried the body of Jesus. Now the Bible mentions four times that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. It belongs to a rich man named Joseph from the city of Arimathea. He was a prominent figure in the local society because besides the fact that he was rich, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious body of the day. See, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combine to tell us the story. Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised. He didn't think Jesus was dead yet. Crucifixion was a hideous way to die. Strong men sometimes hung there for days before they died. And so this was strange for Pilate. But Jesus had died after only six hours on the cross. So they broke, so they didn't break his legs, as was the custom. There was no need to because he was already dead. When they took down the body of Jesus from the cross, his body was in bad shape. It bore all the marks of the abuse that he had suffered, the beatings that he had endured. He was covered with blood. There was a hole in his side. His face was horribly disfigured. The skin hung from his back in strips and shreds. Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped the body in bits of linen cloth, Then they sprinkled about 35 kilograms of spices throughout the linen cloth. Most of these spices were ground powder. The other was a a gummy sort of substance. See, the spices made the linen strips stick together and form a tight wrap around the body. That was how the Jews preserved the body of their dead one. It was getting near to sundown that created a problem because the Old Testament prohibited the Jews to handle a dead body on the Sabbath. So no time to find a new grave. So Joseph volunteered his own. The Bible says it was fresh, a fresh tomb, newly dug out from the rock. No one had been laid there yet. Undoubtedly, Joseph meant this for his own family to be buried here someday. But for the moment... Everything was put aside. Joseph and Nicodemus picked up the limp, lifeless corpse of Jesus 
and half carried, half dragged it to the garden tomb. Between the weight of the body and the linen and the spices, it must have weighed around 110 and 120 kgs. Meanwhile, the sun slowly sinks across the western horizon. Shadows fall across the olive trees. The two men, secret disciples, carrying the dead body of Jesus to the tomb. Close behind are Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who is assumed to be one of Lazarus' sisters. They are both weeping uncontrollably. The entrance to the tomb was very small. Nicodemus and Joseph had to bend over to get inside. Inside the tomb, it was dark. Almost pitch black. It was moldy and damp. They laid the body of Jesus on a ledge and turned to go. When they got outside, Joseph and Nicodemus rolled a great stone over the entrance. The woman sat by the side watching. Then Joseph and Nicodemus left. Then the two Marys left. There was a guard left there to watch over the tomb so no one would steal the body. Darkness fell on the garden cemetery. Everyone had now left. It was quiet and still. Inside the tomb, there was silence. And yet the smell of death was everywhere. Come Saturday, what I would call silent Saturday. See, the Bible says very little about that Saturday. We know about Good Friday. We know about Easter Sunday. But that of Saturday, in between, nothing is really mentioned. See, Jesus was gone. But somewhere between Friday and Saturday, the Romans put a seal on the stone to keep people away. Luke says of the disciples... And on the Sabbath, they rested. This is what the book of Luke describes Saturday being like. But then on Sunday, there's a sunrise surprise. A sunrise surprise. The Bible is very clear about what happened on Sunday. In fact, the book of Matthew says this, late on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that's how it begins the story. Mark says, very early on the first day of the week, Luke says, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, John says, now on the first day of the week, Mary came early to the tomb. The women came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. They weren't expecting a resurrection. They were expecting a dead body. A resurrection was the furthest thing from their minds. But to their shock and surprise and utter confusion, the God was gone. The seal was broken. The stone was rolled away. And the tomb was empty. They looked inside. It was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. The tomb was empty. 
An angel stood beside them and said two of some of the most powerful sentences in the Bible. Hear these words. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Mary ran and found Peter and John. She didn't even believe it at first. It was too much for her to take in. So Peter and John ran to the tomb. John got there first, but Peter went inside. The Bible has a strange word about what they found. It says he had found the linen cloth lying there and the head cloth wrapped up by itself. Picture that for a moment. See, what I think it means is that the linens were like an empty shell. As if whoever had been inside had simply passed right through them. Much like a cocoon after a butterfly has flown away. And so the empty shell is still there, but there is no body. Then Mary met Jesus, alive from the dead. Then two disciples on the road met Jesus, alive from the dead. Then the apostles met Jesus, alive from the dead. Even doubting Thomas met Jesus. Alive from the dead. Then 500 people at one time met Jesus alive from the dead. The the message went out. It began to spread. He has risen. He's alive. Jesus is alive. He is risen. An ancient legend says that in the early church, a believer was to be martyred for his faith. And as they tied his hands and led him to the stake, because they believed in Jesus, they were were not willing to say, no, I'm going to take it back. They were like, no, 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 I believe, I believe, I believe. And so many of them were crucified for it. As they tied their hands and led them to the stake, he was asked if he had any last words. That individual would shout, he is risen. Those are my last words. He is risen is risen. Unknown to the authorities in the surrounding hills, the Christians had gathered to watch this execution. This was the normal practice of what would happen when they would crucify those who believed in Jesus. The church would gather. And upon hearing this individual cry out, He is risen. The crowd would respond, He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. In fact, we're told that this is how they greeted one another in the early church. They would walk into their gathering times and one would cry, He is risen. And the others would say, He is risen indeed. So that's a quick summary to to from Friday to Sunday. We have to understand this. There's there's so much in there that we have to hold on to that that is a part of our faith. It's so easy sometimes to quickly jump to the fact that He has risen. But there's so much that happened before that. Jesus had to die. He had to die for you and me. And so let's go back to our passage this Romans 
our passage this morning, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10, where Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. That we are credited righteousness for believing. That we are given Jesus' righteousness because we have handed him our sin. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. That we move from a life of darkness to light. Where we were once orphans, we are now children because we have been granted salvation. See, Jesus came and lived the life that none of us could live. He knew no sin. He lived the perfect life. He knew no sin. Yet he died the death we should have died. He died the death we all deserve. He paid the penalty for our sin. He did it so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might be reconciled back to God. That we might have a relationship with him. So that we might be holy and blameless in the sight of God. So that when God looks at us, he sees in us his son Jesus. This is why the cross was necessary. Again, before we jump too quickly to the fact that he has risen, let us, let us pause for a moment and talk a little bit about the cross. That on the cross, our sins were laid on him. They were laid on Jesus. We're not here just to celebrate the truth and the reality that Jesus died. But we're here to talk about the fact that when he died, he carried our sin. Yours and mine. He carried our sin. I also don't want us to simply celebrate the truth of the resurrection. We can make it a really simple thing, especially for those maybe who've been Christians for a while. It just feels like the normal rotation of the year. So I want us to pause for a moment. For those in the room who have journeyed with Jesus, I don't want us just to simply celebrate as, oh, here comes Easter again. But I want it to be a time where we actually ask ourselves, have we completely surrendered to him? Have we completely surrendered to him? Are we obedient to him? Do we trust him completely? Have we laid everything before him? To follow Jesus requires a life of full surrender and full obedience. But in order to live faithfully to this rhythm, I, I call it the rhythm of life, surrender and obedience, surrender and obedience. To, to live faithfully to this rhythm, we must acknowledge that our sin was nailed to the cross. That our sin was nailed to the cross, past, present, and future. We must acknowledge that. Now I'm going to get to the part where he has risen. That's coming. But again, for us to get there, we have to acknowledge that on the cross, my sin, your sin, past, present, and future was put on Jesus. 
but he died for it. And so our past, for many of us, we we need to hear this. We need to stop holding on to what's happened in the past. Some of you have crossed the line of faith. You've given your life to Jesus, but you're still holding on to some of the, the sins of your past, to things that you have done or that have been done to you. And for us to acknowledge that he has risen, we've got to acknowledge that he died for the sins of your past. And so we should be able to let go. We should be able to let go. Our present sins. Many of you have walked in here carrying so much that there's so much weighing you down. You know what it is. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. And we're not even talking about what happened in the past. We're talking about maybe what happened last week. Two days ago. Yesterday. This very morning. Your present sins are weighing you down. Jesus wants you to know that he died for them. That very thing that you're carrying right now, he died for it. It was nailed to the cross. And so our past sins, our present sins, but also our future sins. This is where it gets tricky. Our future sins. Well, you might sit here and go, well, I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. So, So how do I acknowledge that? I have no idea what I'm going to do next week or next year. How do do I acknowledge that? See, when we acknowledge that Jesus died for our future sins, what it communicates is that we are not perfect. That's what it says. You're sitting here acknowledging that I am not perfect, that, that somewhere down the line, I'm going to take my eyes off Jesus. I say this when entering into relationships with people. I tell them, listen, I I am going to strive, I'm going to seek to love you the way that Christ loves me. Because the scriptures call me to that. I'm going to do that. But but, but here's the thing, right? I'm upfront about it. Here's the thing. I'm going to fail you. At some point in this journey, I am going to fail you because I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to forget the cross. I'm going to not want to surrender. There are times in my life when I don't want to be obedient, where I'm just thinking about me, myself, and I. And it's in those moments that that I'm filled with idolatry, selfishness. It's in those moments where I want to sit on the throne. I want to be in control. And so I'm going to fail you. I think we should have that when, before you accept a friend on Facebook, like that should be the tagline. Ready to be your friend, I am going to fail you. And so when we acknowledge our future sins, what we're saying is, look, hey guys, as I journey with Jesus, as he makes me more and more like him, I, I, I'm going to trip up sometimes. 
I'm going to say dumb stuff. I'm not going to love you the way I should. I'm not going to serve you the way I should. On the cross, Jesus died for our past, present, and future sins. And some of us need to hear that. Because maybe for, for, for a few in here, you're thinking, well, I need to better myself. I need to uh, clean myself up first before I come to Jesus. Jesus goes, no, 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 I died for you long before you even understood what all of this means. I stepped in your place before the foundation of the world. Scripture tells us this, the book of Ephesians, but before the foundation of the world, before God created anything, he had this moment in mind, meaning that he had you in mind. Knowing that you were going to fail him, knowing that you were going to fall short, knowing that you were going to sin. Jesus still put his hand up and he said, I will go. I will lay down my life. I will be beaten. I'll be put on that cross. And I will carry the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Now, I want to do something. And I'm, I do this, right? You're going to see me in a moment. I'm going to transition and walk over to the cross in the corner there. But, but, but I want to do this because it, 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 it's something tangible. Look, there's nothing magical about what I'm about to do, right? There's nothing magical about it. But if you're like me, I, I need to be reminded regularly. And I need to do something tangible. Something that gets me out of my seat, because I can sometimes over-spiritualize this. I can sit there and go, mm, amen, yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Yep, amen, love it, that's the truth. The problem is that it, it stays here and never really makes its way to the heart. And so in a moment, the band's going to come up and they're going to play a song. It's becoming one of my favorites. But in that, in that moment, I want us to think, I want us to think about laying it down because that's what the, the song says. The words are, we, we want to lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. We want to see our sin on the cross, acknowledging that it is on the cross. And so I, I'm going I'm, I'm to go ahead and do it. It's going to be awkward. You came to root it this morning. That's awkward already. And so, there's some paper here. There's some pens. Um, I do this regularly. Uh, I talk about myself. Uh, I have no shame. I mean, I, I do, but I'm okay with going, hey guys, here's where I am. Here's my life. Because we are master pretenders. We're really good at it. But you know this. For those who have been pretending for a while, you know this. The longer you pretend, the more tired you become. To show up at times like this, how are you doing? I'm doing great, fantastic. When in reality, you're carrying so much. And so here's me, right? Talk about sins in my life, past, present, and future. Things that Jesus has died for that I need to be reminded of is I carry fear. I do. I carry fear, and I, I'll be specific about that. 
write, write it here. I am fearful. I'm going to be super specific. I am fearful that this will not work. God has called us to plant a church, a gospel-centered, disciple-making, transcultural church. And, and what keeps me up at night is that this will not work. And so that leads to anxiety. I'm worried all the time. I'm anxious. I show up here on a Sunday morning and I'm worrying, hey, are people going to show up? Are we making a difference? I become anxious. And then that leads to control. Because then I tell myself, you know what, if, if I took control of all of this, uh, then things would be better. Then this church would grow. Then we would have influence. Then people's lives would be transformed if I took control. You know what that becomes? That leads me to a place of being impatient. I'm impatient. I'm impatient with you. I'm impatient with myself. And I'm impatient with God. Because He's not keeping up to my rhythms. He's not answering my prayers. He's not concerned about me. That then becomes bitterness and anger. I'm angry. I start looking at other people's church plants and I'm like, well, how come? How come they're doing so well? How come they're growing? How come they're multiplying? Oh, no, it's because, it's because they have a sending church that gives them all the money that they need. Guys, I'm just letting you into my heart. I'm doing so because I don't want to pretend anymore. I'm not like this all the time. So that would be crazy. But I have to bring this to the surface because I have to acknowledge that Jesus died for all of this. He, he died for, for all of these. Let me, let me unpack some of these. He, he died for the fear that I carry. He died for my anxiety. He died for my control issues. He died for my impatience. He died for my anger and my bitterness. Every whip that landed on Jesus was for this. Every blood that was spilt was for this. And he did so so that we don't have to carry it. friends, what today should tell us is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not simply a doctrine to be believed, but a reality to be lived out and displayed with our mouths and our lives. This is a critical distinction 
and how we are to respond. My hope is that this morning would be but a, a small glimpse of that, that we could have easily just uh, had someone stand up here and just give you information, but, but to rather pause and, and use this time to, to allow our faith to be put into work. The laying down of our sins, the taking up of the hope that is found in Jesus, being reminded that He will return as we partake in communion. So the reality is that you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but never let that reality be displayed in your life. One of the evidences of your salvation is that Christ is changing you. He's bringing you to this place where you're becoming more and more like Him. That's an evidence of your salvation. It causes you to do something. And so it's not just to simply believe in the resurrection, but it's to confess it with your mouth and your life. And when you do so, it brings you to this place where we can cry out together, He is risen. That He is risen. And that changes everything. It changes our identity. See, our positional standing becomes one of victory. Because it did not end on the cross, because the tomb is empty, because he is risen, it changes our positional standing. Victory. Victory because he has conquered sin and death and acquired for us, for those who believe, life and life to the full. Victory because he is risen. And so we're going to close our time together by singing to the risen one. By crying out together that he is risen. Our Savior is risen. The Savior of the world, the one we put our hope in, has risen. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's aware of this time. He's aware of this moment. He's aware of everything that you are going through. But you can stand in Him because He is risen. And so, Lord, we come now as we close. Asking that you would do a work that only you can do. My hope is that for those who've crossed the line of faith would live in their new identity. One of victory. We would identify ourselves with you, Jesus. Victorious. You have conquered sin and death. And that you have given us life to the full. And so God, you are our Savior. You are the Savior of this world. Let us celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we close our gathering with a benediction every Sunday. We close with a blessing from God that would send us out believing this beautiful truth that He is risen, that He's the Savior of the world, that He meets you where you are. And so as I give you this benediction, I ask that you would take the hand of the person next to you. Nothing magical about this, but what it communicates is incredibly important in fact what it communicates is radically important and that is we are designed 
for fellowship. God has uniquely and beautifully made us for community. And so even as we go out here, we go out as a community to remind one another that He is risen, that our positional standing is one of victory. And so this morning, we're going to do the benediction slightly different. It'll be up on the screen. And I'm going to read it. But where it is in red, I'm going to ask that you read that with me. That in one voice, we would cry that out. And so here, these words. Since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any power over him. For the life he lives. Because of our sins, he was handed over to die and he was raised to life in order to put us right with God. May the God of peace, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, provide us with every good thing we need in order to do his will. And the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Go in peace as witnesses of the risen Lord. And so, Father, send us out. Send us out with your truth, with your word, with your power, with your comfort. Send us out with your love that we might be true salt and light to a broken world that is in desperate need of you. And as that happens, that they would turn to you that they too would be able to confess and to believe that God, you raised Jesus from the dead. He is risen. And all of God's children said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Guys, have a fantastic week. If you want to chat or pray with someone, there'll be a few of us up front to do so. Otherwise, go in grace.